0: 10 of Penciled in Sports. I'm here with Len Casper, radio play by play announcer of the Chicago White Sox, formerly TV play by play for the Chicago Cubs for many, many years. Len, it's great to have you on.
1: Jacob, thanks. Uh, Happy New Year. And uh, nice to be talking baseball in the middle of the winter.
0: Of course. It's great uh, year round sport. Got a lot of off season moves, especially for the White Sox. And we could dive into that a little bit. Um, I just want to start off by asking you to just tell us and my viewers about your career path and what really influenced you to get into sports broadcasting.
1: Well, I grew up in mid-Michigan in a small town called Shepherd. Uh, really, uh, you know, the biggest city nearby would probably be the capital, Lansing, about 50 miles away, about three hours from Detroit. And uh, I grew up a huge sports fan. Uh love all the sports, but in particular baseball, And um, Ernie Harwell was the uh, longtime Hall of Fame radio announcer for the Tigers. And I just, uh, I fell in love with his call of the game. And I thought this would be a really cool uh, job and a career. So I knew at a pretty early age what I wanted to do. Uh, I went to Marquette University in Milwaukee, majored in public relations, minored in history, and uh, was able to do a lot of student radio, uh, college basketball, Marquette at the time. Uh, then I worked in radio in Milwaukee. I uh, worked for WTMJ Radio, the flagship station of the, the Brewers and Packers and Bucks and Wisconsin Sports. Uh, and then about six or seven years into my tenure there, I uh, got an opportunity to fill in on Brewers Television, which was a huge break for me. And uh, that was in 1999. Uh, I did about 20 games a year for three years, uh, along with my, my full-time radio job. Uh, then uh, in 2002, uh, I applied for and got the uh, Marlins TV job in Florida, so that was my first full-time uh, major league job. Uh, just an amazing time. Uh, two years in, uh, 2003, the Marlins won the World Series, uh, and then uh, when the Cubs job opened prior to 2005, I uh, threw my hat in the ring and was, was fortunate to get that, and uh, 16 years later, I'm, I'm staying in Chicago, but Making a switch over to radio, which was my first love, as I mentioned earlier, uh, and now nine miles to the south, uh, guaranteed Raid Field and uh, the White Sox. So uh, I'm really lucky. It's, uh, it's been an amazing run of luck that I've had. Uh, I've watched two World Series championships, 03 with the Marlins, 16 with the Cubs, and uh, hopefully here with the third team, I'll have that opportunity uh, at some point soon with the White Sox.
0: Yeah, not many fans can say uh, they've seen two World Series, let alone broadcasters, uh, really being a part of the day-to-day of the team. So that's phenomenal. And in, in studying and looking a little bit about your career path, one thing I found really interesting was some of the calling you did for like a minor league team in Milwaukee, the Beloit Snappers. And in talking to different people throughout the industry, there's always such a recognition of how important it is to gain that experience. And a lot of people suggest go work for a minor league team. You'll wear multiple hats. You'll just get phenomenal experience. Can you speak a little bit about that? That's
1: funny. I actually tried to get a, a major league job out of college and uh, couldn't couldn't get one. And and that's kind of why I went the other path and, and worked uh, at the flagship station in Milwaukee. Uh, I only did a handful of games with the Beloit snappers and, and really only about three innings of play-by-play. But Brett Dolan, who was at the time, the radio voice of the snappers, uh, he worked alone and uh, I gave him a phone call. I said, hey, you know, I I just need some reps. I need a little experience. Um, Would you have a problem with me taking a few free weekends during the summer and driving down and and doing a few games with you? And he he said, absolutely, that'd be great. So that was a big thing for me, just to have some some game tape, I guess, to give uh, the brewers to show them that I kind of knew what I was doing. Um, but, you know, there are a lot of minor league announcers who work five, six, seven, 15 years in the case, I believe, of Terry Smith, uh, who is now the voice of the Angels. Uh, so some broadcasters spend uh, decades uh, honing their craft and trying to get to the big leagues. And it's it's a labor of love. Uh, there are, these jobs are few and far between, but uh, the goal ultimately is to get uh, to the, the highest league in the in the world, and that is Major League Baseball. And uh, I was fortunate uh, to do that a little over 20 years ago.
0: Yeah, surely. Um, and so one thing I'm curious about, when you're going into a broadcast, whether it's radio or TV, I'm sure so much of it is kind of instinctive. I mean, you're adapting to what's happening on the fly. But what is some of like, the prep work you put in uh, the day before? Or you're just studying the opposing team. I'm, I assume you know the team that you're calling very well. What are some things you look at?
1: It's really, uh, as, as I said, it's, 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 it's something you have to be passionate about. Uh, I am doing baseball research uh, pretty much every day, 365 days a year. You know, I'm always on, online in the morning checking out uh, what's the latest on the, on the team I'm with or any interesting stories on players around the game. Uh, I have files I keep on on every player in the big leagues, on every team in the major leagues. And uh, I have a system of preparation. I usually work about a week's uh, worth of time in advance. Uh, So if the White Sox are playing the Indians today, but they've got the Royals coming up in four days and they've got the Tigers in seven, I'm kind of diving deep uh, into three different teams. While, as you said, the team you're with, uh, you know, it's a daily process and a lot of the research ends up being just calling each game and kind of building up that memory bank of things that happened and getting to know the players and the manager and the coaches and the front office. So it's, it's kind of a lifetime of preparation and research. Uh, and thankfully, I love it. And, and, and I think it is a sport uh, in which you have to love and have a passion for what you're doing. Because if you don't, it, it, it's, it, I think it's hard to do it Uh, every day and to have that commitment to what you're doing Uh, 162 baseball games if you do the math you're on the air for five six hundred hours a year and if you don't really like it that much uh, I think it becomes apparent pretty quickly
0: yeah no it definitely makes sense I mean it's a lot of games in comparison to other sports especially and they're long games as well so sometimes you guys may may need to fill time during a review or kind of just in between pitches there could be a long break if somebody comes to the mound. So it seems like a very hard sport to call. And I have so much respect for those who do it.
1: Yeah, it's, it's not a linear sport. Uh, you know, typically football, you have the play, then you have the analysts talk about that play, set up the next play. And it's, it's, it's regimented. It's structured. Uh, basketball is back and forth hockey, back and forth uh, baseball is totally different. And that's what I love about it. There's a unique quality to to calling a baseball game that
0: uh, is just different from all the other sports. And that's what I love about it. So in terms of like the research side of things that you mentioned earlier, how is kind of the tech involved in broadcasting changed over time? I mean, you've been around it for a while, but I'm sure there's some new statistics that are kind of recorded now that weren't as uh, valuable or thought of many years ago and also i mean you're adding in different types of replay reviews and pitch tracking has that made the job easier or harder in terms of how you talk about the game
1: uh it's definitely made it easier having uh, stuff available on the internet at at your fingertips um you know i didn't you know i go back to the aol dial-up days when i first started and before that you know most broadcasters no broadcasters had any sort of internet connection so whatever material they had written down or in book form or printed out game notes. That's kind of what they had in front of them. Uh, I've had games I've done, which I've had no, nothing other than my laptop in front of me. I have all the information I need kind of built into the laptop and that's it. And then the game in front of you and, and working on television, you have your monitor that you, you work off. Um, But I, I think you have to be careful with technology that, if you do too much, I think you get away from the heart of the game and what you know the game is all about on the field, and that's where it is played. It's not played on a graphic or on a laptop, uh, but those things definitely supplement uh, the, the broadcast and the entertainment uh, component of it, and uh, I want to make sure I'm always utilizing everything I have available to me at that
0: time. Yeah, it's an important mix to strike, especially considering – just how historic of a sport baseball is. And so I'm curious, were you calling games at home during the pandemic? Uh,
1: we called road games from the back of the booth at Wrigley Field. So basically every time the Cubs played, whether they were at Wrigley uh, or in another city, we, we were actually in the booth at Wrigley. Um, and it was a challenge. Uh, it was a fun challenge. It was something I had never done uh, broadcasting remotely. Uh, I hope to not have to do it again. Um, but, you know, you adjust uh, to the environment that uh, you're given at any time. And I think it was the right call in 2020 to not travel. And we found ways to, to make it work. Uh, we called a no-hitter remotely in uh, September, Alec Mills at Miller Park in Milwaukee. And, again, that was – was, uh, it, it was fun. But, you know, you'd always rather be in the ballpark uh, to witness history for sure – uh, but that's something I can say I did. And uh, as I said, I hope I don't uh, have to do it again.
0: Yeah, I know from a viewer's perspective, I mean, I thought the transition was pretty smooth. Um, there's such a different element added to the game when you have fans involved and a roaring crowd. How do you play in the um, the overall ballpark and, and fan base into your broadcast?
1: I think the atmosphere is, is paramount. And if you're trying to put people uh, at home in the ballpark, Uh, You have to utilize the sounds of the game and the peanut vendors and uh, the crack of the bat and the pop of the mitt and the strike call by the umpire. Those are things you absolutely want to hear uh, on a a television broadcast and even more importantly on a radio broadcast because what the viewer, quote, sees comes through uh, your ears. And so you have to make sure that you're giving them kind of a genuine feel and vibe of what the ballpark atmosphere is like. It was different this year because we had a lot of you know fake crowd pumped in. I think ultimately that was probably the right decision uh, to, to just give it a little more atmosphere than it would have had otherwise. It probably made the players a little more comfortable as well. Uh, but I cannot wait until we don't have to worry about any pumped in crowd noise and it's all real. And
0: the CGI fans... I know I think Fox did that some, it was pretty interesting as well, but you know, anything to make it more normal was nice from a viewer perspective. I just want to shift over to, so you're recently moved into radio. I mean, you've, you've been on uh, radio waves before, can you talk to me a little bit about the appeal of radio versus television, um, just in your personal case? Well, I love both. Uh,
1: you know, and, and, and me going to radio doesn't mean that, that I don't like television or that, you know, there's something wrong with it. It's just I've done a lot more television uh, than I have radio in terms of baseball. And I think for this sport, uh, it really resonates on the radio. You, you know, the idea of painting a picture uh, still resonates with me. Uh, there's a long history of baseball on the radio because it's every day. It is the kind of thing where and it's in the summer. So it's the kind of thing where if you're out and about, you're in your car, or you're at the beach, or you're doing whatever, and you're kind of half paying attention to the game, uh, I think radio really fits uh, the lifestyle of most Americans uh, during the summer months. So that that's a big part of it. And I think from a broadcaster standpoint, just the challenge of uh, describing very uh, succinctly and specifically and eloquently uh, what we're seeing and making it very clear to the listener what that picture looks like. And uh, I I just, I find that very attractive. Uh, It's a different skill set. TV is very difficult. It's different. It's not any easier than radio. They're just very different animals. And uh, I'm looking to kind of tackle that radio thing that uh, I long thought about when I was a kid and really never had a chance to do at a high level. Uh, All of my baseball work basically has been, on television and I, I really want to go back to my
0: roots and uh, do the thing that I grew up wanting to do. I'm very excited to tune in. I think in radio, whether it's sports radio for like live games or talk shows in the morning, you really develop that connection with the commentator or analyst, uh, whoever it may be. You're driving to work every day on the way back and, and you come to expect to hear that voice. Um, and, and I think sometimes with TV, it's not the exact same, but I do personally love radio and it's a field that is changed a little bit in terms of audio and podcasting is rising. Um, I know they're different, but it's a great place to be in my opinion.
1: Yeah. I think the word is intimate. Uh, There's an intimacy. I think that one-on-one kind of thing you have, uh, especially if you have your headphones on uh, you know, it's like the the person in your head is is talking directly to you. And uh, I I love podcasts. I, I listen a lot more than I watch in terms of my media consumption. So uh, yeah, I can't, I can't wait to get going. I'm, I'm really, really excited about it.
0: And so another question I have, and I got just a few more here and wrapping up want to be very considerable of your time is in terms of social media, like how have you used that to develop a brand outside of just TV, like connect with con- connect with your viewers, maybe bring some of their opinions on air if that's something that is done. I, I just find it a very interesting thing because it's, grown up as you've been in the profession?
1: It sure has. Uh, When I got on Twitter, um, you know, it wasn't to build a brand. It was just to follow uh, what was going on in the world. And I think to stay relevant, Uh, you know, you don't ever want to feel like you're a dinosaur and talking about uh, social media and things that you don't quite understand. Uh, So for me, it was more of an information gathering tool But I think as time has gone on, it has also become a very quick uh, present feedback loop in terms of what we're talking about. And typically, if we have a conversation that's not about baseball, uh, but about something quirky or fun, uh, you tend to get some really fun replies. And every once in a while, you get a really good idea that you might use. And so it's it's a way for fans to kind of directly reach Uh, the broadcasters, I still get handwritten letters, but typically they're six to eight weeks after the letter is written. Well, a tweet, you know, I'll get it three seconds after it's written. Uh, So it's just a totally different uh, ballgame now. And uh, I always want to make sure that I'm trying to stay as current as I can while acknowledging that I'm not getting any younger, but also trying to reach the the broadest, biggest audience I possibly can.
0: I think baseball recently has pushed well into both the female audience and younger audience. Um, just looking at, like, viewership from this past season, it seemed like they did very well in that realm. And there are some exciting players rising in the game, both on the White Sox. I mean, you got Fernando Tatis. It's an exciting time in the sport, for sure.
1: Yeah, no doubt. And uh, I think, you know, promoting the young players uh, is, is really important. And uh, people have their devices with them at all times. And I think that, you know, making sure that we embrace technology while not, letting that technology get in the way, it's, it's a balancing act. Um, you know, you, you probably tend to go too far in one direction and then bounce back too far in the other. Um, but uh, I do think that, the, you know, the score graphic being on the screen at all times is here to stay and it should. Uh, but there is something fun to look back at a game from even just 20 years ago and there's nothing on the screen other than the action. Uh, and at times I say to myself, what's the score? Uh, you know, it, sh- it should say what the score is, but that's how we lived for, you know, eight or nine decades uh, to start the baseball on television era. And uh, that's changed forever. And and I think we have, to, we have to
0: acknowledge that that's just the way it is. And more information is good. It's so incredibly different. I mean, having grown up with the score bug for my entire life, when you don't see it for a few seconds, you're like panicking. But <laughs> I guess back then you relied more on the commentators and and you just had to wait to see it or when there's a score change it would come up i really didn't even know uh that that was a thing prior to like 20 25 years ago so a couple just quick hitters to end off with here um i mean you've called some no hitters you've called world series i mean other than the world series games what is the favorite memory you have in broadcasting
1: First game I did in 1999, definitely stands out, uh, was Brewers-Pirates in late April at Three Rivers Stadium. Uh, Just being on the air was was surreal. Uh, I think of the Aramis Ramirez uh, walk-off home run in 2007 to beat the Brewers. That's a a home run call that a lot of people who have followed the Cubs for a long time uh, still point out to this day. Um, the no-hitters have been amazing. The Zambrano no-hitter in Milwaukee, which was the first uh, at a at a uh, neutral site. Uh, I called Jake Arrieta's second no-hitter. I called Cole Hamill's no-hitter with the Phillies at Wrigley Field, which was the first at that ballpark since 72 and ended up being Hamels' last start with the Phillies before he got traded. And then, as I mentioned earlier, the, uh, the Alec Mills no-no uh, in 2020 at Miller Park. So those are all fun. Uh, I still get butterflies and nerves and sweaty palms when you go to the ninth inning uh, it is nerve-wracking and that's the fun of it uh, kind of riding that roller coaster but uh, there are a lot of memories and I hope to build uh, some more uh, as I head to the American League with the White Sox
0: those are so many incredible games you just mentioned um, who is one player that you're really looking forward to meeting on like a personal basis this season with the White Sox
1: Wow. Uh, it's hard to pick one. Uh, Tim Anderson, I'm a big fan of his. Uh, Jose Abreu, the uh, reigning MVP. And I think Lucas Giolito, whose story is, is fascinating. He, uh, you know, uh, three years ago had, I think, the worst ERA in the major leagues. And then, you know, the following year uh, was, was a Cy Young contender uh, Threw a no-hitter here in 2020. Uh, just the way he has uh, kind of handled his career and bounced back. Uh, A lot of other players might not have been able to do that. And uh, I find his story really, really interesting.
0: A very stacked roster for the White Sox. Uh, Very excited to check it out. What's your favorite stadium other than Guaranteed Rate and Wrigley? We'll take those out of the mix.
1: I would say probably uh, Oracle Park in San Francisco would be at the top of the list. Uh, I just I love the atmosphere there. Uh, Always love going to Dodger Stadium. Uh, there are a lot of great parks. I'll tell you one underrated park is uh, Target Field in Minneapolis. They, they really did a nice job there uh, after all those decades in the Dome. Uh, I know the weather's not always ideal uh, in Minneapolis, but uh, a sunny day in many uh, in that ballpark is pretty hard to beat.
0: Baseball stadiums have that culture and just history that you don't really find in other sports. And I know a lot of people kind of set out to go to every baseball stadium, and it's just such an incredible thing. Um, and then my last question would be just, what words of advice do you have for those looking to enter sports broadcasting and follow follow a career path similar to your own?
1: I'll keep it simple today. Practice, practice, practice. Uh, every bit of experience you get is incredibly helpful. Uh, it's just like every other occupation. Uh, the more you do it, the better you get at it. Uh, I know when I was 20 and 22 and 25, I felt like I could be in the big leagues and be good at it. Uh, I wasn't, but I had the confidence that I was. Um, But what I did is I kept grinding and I kept doing as many shows and as many uh, games as I possibly could. And now you have, as you said earlier, the opportunity to do podcasting and just there's so many more opportunities to get broadcasting experience early in your career, it doesn't matter who's listening or watching or how many people pay any attention. It's all about the work. And the more you do it, the better you'll, you'll get at it. And you'll notice even over a three or four week period, if you do it every day, go back and you listen to yourself and you say, man, am I a lot better than I was a month ago. It, it, it really is true that uh, practice makes perfect. And so I would encourage any young broadcaster to do as much as he or she possibly can.
0: You got to get the reps in. That's one thing I've learned in, in doing this. Um, great advice. And just thank you so much for taking the time. I'm sure it's very busy. Really appreciate it. Um, and Best of luck to you and the White Sox this coming season. We'll all be tuned in. Have a good one.
1: Jacob, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Let's do it again sometime.